RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Well, since we've been operating here at Reality Check Radio, we've uh, had uh, correspondence from people concerned about um, 5G, uh, specifically from Coromandel residents, and we've got three we're about to talk to um, who are here to speak about the installation of the 5G tower in Coromandel. We're talking Coromandel Town. And what they say is a lack of consultation from Vodafone and the community board and how this was an undemocratic process where the community had no voice in saying what was best for them. So we're curious to find out more. And uh, joining us on RCR this morning is Warwick Mather. Hi, Warwick. Hello, Paul. Dr. Wendy Pond. Hi, Wendy. Good morning. And Nisa Hutton. Good morning. Hi, Nisa. Hi. Okay, so Warwick, who are you and why are you here to speak today? We'll go through the three of you just so we can sort of get our heads around who you are and, and why you're here. Sure. I'm a, a local resident, Paul, uh, very involved in community affairs. Uh, I live in the town because it's a place that I love and it offers a lifestyle and an environment that is dear to my heart. Uh, I'm very keen to promote and protect the uh, all the good things about Coromandel. And what the reason why I'm talking to you today and why I'm involved in this issue of the 5G tower is because the erection of the 5G tower and the rolling out of 5G into Coromandel presents a great threat to the type of lifestyle that people like myself have moved to Coromandel for, both in health and social, um, the social community and its well-being. So that, in a nutshell, is really why I'm, I'm talking to you. Okay. Um, Dr. Wendy Pond. Wendy? Tell, tell me quickly about why you're here and um, and a bit about yourself. I'm a social anthropologist, and I wanted to use those skills to give people in our local community a voice. And I'm also secretary of an ecological group, very much concerned about the gathering destruction of the natural world. Okay, and Nisa, Nisa Hutton. Um, Tell us a bit about yourself, Nisa, and, and why you're interested in being on our program regarding this this morning. Um, my primary interest comes from the angle of health. My background is as a pharmacy technician and a craniosacral therapist, and um, I became interested in 5G a number of years ago, but I, of particular interest to me um, was the, ro- the speedy rollout during the um, pandemic era, if you like. First, though, I want to let our listeners um, hear and understand what the issue is here. And Warwick, maybe you can lead off on that. So I guess many New Zealand towns and cities have had 5G installed into their neighbourhoods and streets, etc. So nothing new there. Why is it a problem for Coromandel? Why are you speaking up? Well, Paul, it's not just a problem for Coromandel. It is a problem for everywhere that 5G is being rolled out. The, the, the Perhaps the defining factor is that in Coromandel, we're a small community. Uh, a lot of us have informed ourselves very uh, in, in good detail as to what 5G is and why it is a threat to uh, the health of the community and our well-being from other aspects as, as well. Um, so as far as other communities around New Zealand are concerned, my suggestion would be please research 
the issue of 5G, find out why it's not a good thing to have in your neighborhood and then get your, your community together to try and see what you can do about it to see if you can, can keep it out. So Coromandel isn't, in, in, in that sense, any different from anywhere else in the country. Uh, but we have we are well awake, many of us in the community are well awake to the dangers of 5G, and that's why we organised ourselves to say, no, we don't want this in our town. I mentioned um, Vodafone and I mentioned the community board. Okay, so lack of consultation. I can imagine the big corporate would probably just want to railroad the thing in and get it done because they're doing this everywhere. What What's happened with the community board and has there been some sort of collusion or cooperation between the two? Well, I think um, uh, uh, Wendy can speak to that in a moment as well, Paul, but um, just from, from a, a general perspective, I think there's a, can we say, an unholy alliance between large corporations, uh, the government and uh local uh, territorial authorities uh, like our Thames Coromandel District Council. Councils have, they claim, had a lot of their jurisdiction removed uh, in terms of being able to say, to consult their community and say, well, our community doesn't want 5G. Uh, so I think it would be useful to perhaps for, for Wendy to, to give a little bit of a, a perspective on that question as to the lack of consultation. Yeah, yeah Wendy, if you don't mind. Right. So Vodafone, which began the process of erecting this tower, has now been replaced by One New Zealand. Same company, though, essentially, just a rebrand, right? Yes. Um, now we've got the telecommunications of Coromandel uh, totally in the hands of transnational companies. And those companies, uh, let's talk of One New Zealand, are saying to the public that under the national standard, which in fact is regulations brought in in 2016, but it's referred to generally as the national standard, under the national standard, one New Zealand is permitted to put a tower wherever it wants to as a permitted activity, that it doesn't need to notify the public or carry out discussion with the public. So that's what these companies are telling the people. But what I would like to talk about at some stage is the way I read the legislation quite differently because regulations are only secondary statutes. And the great power lies within the Resource Management Act and the Local Government Act. So Vodafone, or One New Zealand, is bound by the Resource Management Act, and Council is bound by both the Resource Management Act and the Local Government Act. And these acts of Parliament place the responsibility on the territorial authority to protect the health and safety of the people. So that's the overriding legislation. That's where the responsibility lies with our CEO and mayor to protect the health of our community. Do they accept that? <laughs> no. Why but, not? Uh, 
Well, that's what we have to deduce. Why not? Why would they choose choose to follow a regulation which has become a rule in the district plan, knowing that they have greater duties under the Resource Management Act? So why would they do that? Why would they say to us, this is a permitted activity and there's nothing that can be done? So we have to deduce from that that for some reason, untold to us, there is a vested interest on the part of council and government to allow the telecommunication companies free reign. Yeah, okay. So what's behind that? It could be that, um, you know, they, they don't think very deeply about these things. That's possible. Or there's some sort of pressure co- coming from somewhere, or or they're incentivized to take that position. What do you think it is? Ah, uh, well, I wrote to the CEO of Thames Coromandel District Council. I described to her what I saw as her statutory duties under the Resource Management Act, and she wrote back and said, "Council does not intend to change its policy." So if there is pressure coming from government, if there are incentives coming from the transnational telecommunication companies, then this is a betrayal of the public because it is the duty of our CEO to stand with we the people. And instead, it's very clear that she is standing with the foreign transnational companies. Um, I just need to understand the community board's role. Are we talking, when you're talking about who you've just been mentioning, does she represent the community board? That's separate usually, isn't it? So It is. So what happened was way back in July, Vodafone went to the community board unannounced, unscheduled, using public forum time and made a half-hour presentation in a five-minute slot saying that it intended to introduce a 5G tower into our township, into a residential zone, bringing in a commercial activity into a residential zone and telling us Vodafone could put a tower wherever it wanted to. So that was a statement to the community board, and we found out about it. So one month later, a very large contingent of Coromandel residents stood in the pouring rain outside the council chambers where our community board was meeting, and they were allowed a five-minute slot and allowed three speakers to go inside and present the public case to the community board. Well, nothing further came from the community board. And thereafter, our dealings were with council. So in August, a large delegation again of Coromandel residents stood out again in the winter rain and made presentations to the council through three or so delegates And they presented a petition and they presented affidavits and they presented the international worldwide scientific warnings that 5G is untried technology. 
and should not be used on the public. Yeah, I guess it's uh, very difficult to argue the non-use of it. But it's a little, I wouldn't say easier, but you can make a case for it not being plonked right in a residential area where people are, you know, only metres away, right, nearby. Yes, yes. Why have they decided to put it, um, and I know the area that you're talking about, it's just not too far out of the town. It's one of the main residential areas of the town. Why do you think they've decided to put it there? Have they done their readings and found that that's the best place if you want to connect everyone? Have they given, have you had any reasons for why it's been put there? Because I think it's, it's difficult, isn't it, to argue not to have it at all, but to have it put in that area. I mean, that's, that's next level again. Well, I think, Yes, I think you're right that there are two issues here um, very closely related. One is the actual location and the other is the, the, the whole question around the technology itself. And, and um, um, But the location is um, there is it's in breach of all manner of regulations requiring the safety uh, around these these cell towers. We've taken readings of the. Um, electromagnetic uh, radiation from the uh, tower and it is right off the top of the scale so why put it when you say off the top of the scale warwick what put that into some sort of context okay um i haven't actually got the numbers here in front of me some one of our the other members of of our team may have that but we're talking several orders of magnitude and well over the acceptable internationally acceptable limits for exposure to uh, electromagnetic radiation. So uh, furthermore, I mean, these houses, Paul, are some of them uh, less than 50 metres, less than 50 metres. Are there kids sleeping in their beds nearby? There are kids, there are pets, there are people, there are uh, animals, uh, and we've got anecdotal evidence from when that tower was connected uh, after it was was erected uh, recently, and it's been connected initially, we understand, to 4G. The animals uh, uh, in one of the immediately neighbouring households the, the, the behavior of those animals changed hugely. They became aggressive. They wouldn't do the, uh, the, the, the things that they normally would do. And, I mean, that's just what we see with, with our eyes. The dangers from electromagnetic radiation from the towers, uh, we, there's a lot we don't know about it because the effects are cumulative. So the data has to be collected over a period of time. The problem is that there is grossly insufficient data for anybody to say these towers are safe and we know that they're not safe because we have enough data on that already so why coming back to your question would vodafone want to endanger with the the assent of the council and the the community board or, or their silent acquiescence why would they want to endanger the health and welfare of people in our town as wendy said they're charged to look after the health and welfare of uh, the residents and instead they have been complicit in allowing a tower to be erected which is a direct threat to the health and well-being of the people immediately around it at the very least did you say they're operating in, in 4G, which I think is a lower frequency, isn't it? 4G yes. mode at the moment, are they? 
Yes, correct. Our understanding is that um, they were unable to switch it to 5G immediately because the time had elapsed um, from when they expected to be erecting that tower. They'd lost their um, their license to, uh, it, had, it had expired. They have to reapply to connect to the 5G. That's what we understand. Uh, I, I presume that's correct because at this stage, we, we believe that it is not connected to 5G or it wasn't a, a, a few days ago at least. Who makes money out of the frequency they use? Is that a government-owned frequency? Do they have to purchase that frequency band from the government, do they? Do we know? I, don't, I don't know whether you've got the answer to that. I, I presume that's the case. Um, well, I think Spectrum is owned by, well, well, ultimately by the country, but by the government. So just trying to understand how, you know, the business works uh, here um, because I imagine that those uh, frequencies are quite lucrative at scale. As sure. far as I know, um, Paul, the radio spectrum management licenses those bands and um, basically the different companies put in a tender for which ones they would like to use and then the government or that the agency of the government then approves them. Yeah, and they pay to use them. Yeah. And I think, Paul, there's another financial incentive that we <laughs> we may be uh, well, uh, you know, aware of and that is that when a telco wants to erect a cell tower on land it usually offers quite a substantial financial incentive to the landowner so uh who is the landowner well thames coromandel district council claim that in this case the land is owned by them therefore (laughs) i think we're starting to understand where the incentives might be exactly i i don't think we need to probably spell it out um in in any further detail but it's pretty oh, so, clear. So they're putting it on land owned by the people that you say should be sticking up for you. Exactly. Exactly. It's actually sitting on uh, right adjacent to road reserve. Um, and that is, it, it's kind of like a bit of no man's land on the street where nothing much has been happening. And they decided to put it there. Now, the, the council claims that they actually own that land. There has been some uh question over whether or not it's actually crown land that is administered uh, by the local territorial authority or whether it is actually owned by the council either way it's public land hasn't um one new zealand formerly vodafone sold all their cell phone towers or was that sparked does anyone know no it is it is a vodafone that's quite Still, okay maybe it was sparked that did that to infratil okay so <clears throat> presumably um, one NZ is paying to have that tower to whoever a fee to whoever the landowner is. That yeah. that would be a, a reasonable assumption, Paul. Which is, you think, Thames Coromandel District Council? Well, it is, and, and it, there is no one else that is um, claiming ownership of the land other than Thames Coromandel District Council. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. There was a day on which when we occupied the land to stop down at beginning construction of the tower and the CEO of the district council had prepared trespass notices for her staff to hand out to us. Oh, and so in- they were ready for you? Yes. but well, sort, of, sort of ready. Not very well ready, as Wendy's going to explain. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to yeah, carry oh, on. No, that's right. Yes. So... 
we had had previous experience of trespass notices, our ecological group. We'd issued them ourselves. So we saw immediately that the trespass notices were not legally valid because with a trespass notice, it has to be in a form that you can then lodge with the police so that the police have authority to act upon it. And these trespass notices had been pre-signed by the CEO, but they didn't have a name on them and they didn't have a date on so them. So they were bluffing. Absolutely. They were either bluffing or completely unaware of, what, of how to issue a trespass Well, notice. if you're that incompetent, you shouldn't be running a district council. Should well, you? exactly. And uh, look, the police uh, made it clear to us in discussions we had with them, Paul, that the, there are two types of trespass notice that can be issued. And the one that the, the council used was completely the wrong one for the situation in which they, they were wishing to have uh, control over. So they hadn't done their homework. They didn't know what they were doing. And they really made themselves look very foolish over it. I'm still curious about the community board. Presumably, the community board is made up of individuals that are walking around in the community. Correct. So have they had anything to say at all? Well, one of the great distresses to us is that we have a ward councillor that we elected. And on the day, on the fourth attempt of Downer to erect the the tower, the fourth attempt at which it did succeed, there was our ward councillor standing with the police congratulating them on the success of erecting the tower. So we have lost confidence. It must have been hard to swallow to see that. Yes. And also on that day, on this, this was in June, June the 23rd, from June the 19th to June the 23rd, the fourth attempt, on the 19th, Downer, having been unable to succeed in gaining occupancy, we 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 occupied the ground three times so right. Downer could begin construction. But that must the, have been a bit tense, was it? Oh, well, the wonderful thing for us about it was the community coordination was extraordinary. So on the first occasion in November, in the middle of winter, or the the endless rain that Coromandel has experienced, Downer came at six o'clock in the morning and started putting out road cones. And one of the residents was up early and she saw this happening. And within half an hour, she had contacted through a phone tree. She had contacted around 50 people who turned up before they went to work and occupied the ground. So by the time Downer's machinery arrived, the ground was occupied. Then on the second occasion, which is now May, after we have spent winter months sleeping overnight to occupy the ground all through the winter, on on, in May, Downer came back, and this time they came back in the early hours of the morning and immediately put up a steel fence that would exclude us. But again, residents immediately activated the community, and we all came and stood around this fence, and somebody had the wit to realise that it was sitting in plastic Footings. It wasn't posts dug into the ground. Oh, so easily moved. 
Well, yes, so uh, some strong people stood around in a coordinated effort. They lifted up the steel fencing out of the footings and um, grabbed people's car spanners or whatever tools were handy and undid the bolts that connected the section of the fencing and enabled us to enter and occupy the ground. So because of health and safety, Downer could not continue with construction. Good old health and safety. Yes. So then we we went away, and unfortunately, a month later, and this is the military exercise that Warwick has, Warwick has spoken about, yeah. a month later, Downer came, we think perhaps about three or five o'clock in the morning, and it erected the fence as Warwick says, with military precision, so silently that nobody heard it happening. Oh, they snuck in, did they? Yes. But what's also very distressing is that Downer came, in, this is 19th of June, Downer came with the police. Now, normally the police would not come until... Also, oh, like was- a private security sort of exactly. role. And the police had said to us, because we had met with them prior to this a week before, uh, the police had made it very clear to us in that meeting that they were not up for private hire. They were not there to to provide a security service. That was the role of commercial operators. And the, the military exercise that we referred to was 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 alarming. And this is where it comes back to what I was saying earlier. And uh, this is very different to anything else that's happened anywhere around the, the country, because normally, as you pointed out, Paul, they just come in, put up their security fences around the construction site, get on with their job, put the pole up, go away, all, all, all job done. Here, because there have been three previous unsuccessful attempts where we'd occupied the site, when they moved in, the whole operation was coordinated between the uh, the downers, uh, the uh, contractors themselves, their subcontractors, the spy company, and the police. And Sorry, the spy in, company. Yes, there's a, a surveillance company there employed as, uh, to pr- put, to put up spy towers with with cameras and uh, wireless. Um, um, well, like said, filming people so they could monitor. Correct, and, and in fact, well, is that legal? I'm not sure on public land. I'm. I don't know. It's yeah, but you know, you you like surveilling people in that way. Exactly. Um, it's interesting what you say though about the police because um, we had a um, a um, story uh, just a, uh, last week uh, regarding the trees that are being felled on the Auckland volcanic cones, and again they had uh, tree felling going on, being um, um, protected by the police. Hmm. And the, again, in the role of private, what you would normally think of as private security. So there's something, there's something, there's a bit of a pattern there that's starting to emerge. So were these local police, the Coromandel police, or from no, outside? No, they brought in police, Paul, from the uh, throughout the Waikato region. Uh, there were uh, oh, so no connection then, so no familial or, no. or or community connections with the police that were doing this. No, no, we've got two constables in town, and uh, this was clear, clearly an exercise that was well beyond their capability to be effective. From have the you talked to them about that? Oh, we have. We've had. And what uh, do they say? Several discussions. Uh, Nisa, you might want to say something about about that. 
Uh, yeah. Yep. So um, m- multiple people have spoken with them, and I think for them it was also quite a distressing situation. Um, I think from their perspective, you know, they live in this community and it's a difficult place to be when you're between these different um, branches of society who one say, says yes and the other says no. Um, that being said, in my role for me personally, um, I attempted to bring information to them about uh, over one and a half years ago and to a certain degree was successful on that attempt. Um, however, I got no response to the information really um, in the long run. And so I attempted to address that again with further information as the situation evolved and as I had more data uh, approximately uh, late last year and that was unsuccessful. So they didn't actually want to know, um, which led me to then speak with um police outside of the district because they were the ones that were willing to talk to me about the information that I had. So the relationship is definitely... Nisa, when you say willing, like willing just to to get you off their backs or actually willing? Um, Well, he spoke to us initially around the situation to do with the tower and I think... Um, so Warwick organised this meeting with him and I think he was interested in trying to hear our side of the story because... Obviously, he was getting pressure from uh, Vodafone One New Zealand at that time and wanted to ensure that things uh, progressed peacefully. Sorry, the, I, the police are pressured by Vodafone? Uh, yeah, well, I think it's, I'm not saying they gave into the pressure, but I'm no, saying no, but it was to, alluded to. Even, to even be in that yeah. position, they're, they're not That's right, that. yeah, that's right. So, you know, um, we were promoted as being somewhat... Uh, non-peaceful, however, everything that... Well, potentially place. violent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you don't so, really see, don't sound like violent people to me. I no, and it did all take place peacefully, and they were actually really grateful for that, despite the tower going up, that we remained peaceful. Um, well, what were you going to do anyway? That's right. You know, um, I mean, my purpose to actually go to the police was initially to actually help educate them to hopefully protect them as well. So from my perspective... I see them as an extension of the community I'm in, not as an us and them kind of dynamic. Do you still see them that way? I do. Yeah, I do, because I feel like the influences that people are under in in these times are extraordinary, and um, the pressures that people are facing both mentally, emotionally, physically are extraordinary. And I feel that if we resort to an us and them mentality, we're not going to be be able to overcome those pressures. That's just my personal take on it. And um, so my approach was to educate rather than to try and strong arm anyone because I feel like in order to succeed in what we're trying to do, um, we need to inspire the volition from within, um, you know, that people actually voluntarily choose change in a different way. Um, Just um, in terms of the community and how it sort of shakes out on on who, who supports who, um, is there over where are you at with community support? Is it overwhelming? Is there a split? Is it 50 50? How does it fall? It's difficult to uh, put figures on, Paul, because uh, from as far as I am aware, we have had very little other than uh, community engagement, other than support for the activities that we've been undertaking. I'm sure there are people who, uh, for whatever reason, and it may be that they uh, may be out of ignorance to what the technology is and what the dangers it poses to them, they may well either not care or they may support it. And uh, in any community, 
as Nix has indicated, I'm sure we're going to get a range of views. But the interesting thing is that almost to the last person in that neighbourhood, we had total support for what we were doing. And when we were occupying the site over the months that Wendy's talked about, we had the neighbours coming and bringing food for us, cooking scones, bringing hot food, drinks. Uh, we've had a huge level of support uh, from the community. Um, and also you uh, mentioned, and I know it's on a lot of people's minds and we're going to have to have this conversation at some point. Maybe, I don't know how detailed we get here. Maybe maybe it's for another day for the detail. But mm-hmm. the, okay, what is bad? Because 4G is probably not, if 5G is bad, 4G is probably not that good for you either. Yeah, that's no, everywhere. it's not. No, it's yeah. really just a progression of intensity as far as I can tell. Um, the difference between 4G and 5G from what I've learned, and I am a lay person in this field, but yep. from what I've researched um, is that it's phased array um, beam forming technology. So you've essentially Which is got military like technology originally, the military that's, radars, right? That's so, right. And it's at yeah. a higher frequency, so millimetre wave frequency, and um, it, it is – not there are no long-term safety studies, as Warwick mentioned. Um, there are over ten thousand studies to show the damage. Um, these are peer-reviewed studies as well. They're not just someone that's written a study and decided for themselves that it's bad. These are these are scientists all over the world, doctors, um, you know, specialists in their field who have incredible credentials who have. Um, signed a petition um, on online to try and stop uh, 5G and people can review that by going to the 5gspaceappeal.org. Um, so hundreds of thousands of signatures have gone onto this document and they they clearly explain the difference between 4G and 5G and if people want to review that, they can go there to do that. Wow, what an issue. Okay, well, I think we've got our head around this pretty well and understand what's happening in Coro Town. And uh, I think we've probably covered everything here. So I want to thank Warwick Mather. Thank you, Warwick, for coming on. It's been a pleasure, Paul, and thank you for giving us the opportunity to bring this to RCR listeners. And Dr. Wendy Pond, thank you. Yes, thank you. And I think this has demonstrated that the public resisting 5G towers is very well informed, but our representatives in council and in government are not giving weight to the knowledge of the community. Okay. And Nisa Hutton, thank you too. You're welcome. Thanks so much, Paul. Okay. And let's see what happens. Um, it, it's kind of done now, isn't it? I mean, it's up, it's operating, and they'll flick that switch to 5G. Of course they will. Yeah. Well, yes, yes, Paul, but but no, Paul. Um, it's not from the community's point of view done. We haven't seen okay. That, that was that was a good fight, shall we say? But and we lost, um, and we're going to go away and forget about it. No, we're not going to do that. Um, we're also concerned about taking the issue out to the public arena in in a, in a much wider from a much wider perspective. We're looking at organising public meetings to help to educate people about what five G is and why we should keep it out of our community. So yes, the tower is up at the moment. Uh, but I should also mention that across the world, there are places where the towers are being taken down by regulatory um, authority. They're also being taken down by uh, by other means. Um, but they're being 5G is not universally approved across the world. And some places that have installed 5G are now putting a, a stop 
on it and rolling back, particularly where it's, for example, in the in the location close to children's uh, facilities like kindergartens and so on, because young children are very much more uh, susceptible to all these um, adverse effects from a health point of view than we as adults are. So, no, it's it's not the end of the story for us in Coromandel, Paul. We, we continue uh, with with hope that we can actually, through education and through consciousness, bring a change and a halt to this madness. We'll keep an eye on things, and I'm sure you'll update us. So thanks to you three for coming on RCR this morning and um, and and giving us the, the insight into all of that. We appreciate it. Great. Fantastic. Thanks, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.